As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you give all that we got. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Stephanie, Bustin, Nass, and Chet Dragon. <laughs> Big Jed, how are you? Luke, I am doing well. Good to be back with the team, doing a show all together here, and got a great show ahead with a lot of really cool discussion topics, and uh, just looking forward to it, man. How about yourself? Yeah, I agree. We drop an episode of this every week, save for a week or two around the holidays, but it's been a while now since the three of us, we had the gang back together, all in one place, all on one show, so yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Today's topic, and this is something that we've, uh, we've been batting around for, for several weeks. I think it was the last time that we all got together, Jed. The, the show that we did was the best of 2019. And call it short-sightedness, call it lack of self-awareness. I don't know about you, Jed. It didn't really dawn on me that we weren't just ending a year. We were closing out a decade. And when I thought about that, I thought, you know, we really missed an opportunity there. So this probably would have been best to do like on New Year's Eve. We're a little late. It's all right. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea that the, the decade was ending. <laughs> it, it, it dawned on me about January 10th. So <laughs> with that in mind, today's show is the best of 
the 20 teens, the decade awards. And we've got several categories that we've, uh, we've accumulated here to, uh, to present the best of the decade to some are fun. Some are serious. Most of them aren't real serious. Um, <laughs> but we're going to go down that road. So without further ado, <laughs> in the way that I thought we would structure this, Jed, keep in mind, we're, we, we tend to fly by, our seats, by the seat of our pants here on the podcast. I thought we would roll out the category, which those we, we've agreed upon. We've got you know, 10-ish categories. Um, and then I thought we would each kind of go through our nominees, but save our individual winners of the award for last. And there'll be some overlap, but like my thought is I'll go through my nominees, you'll go through yours, and then we'll each say, well, in, our, in my opinion, the winner is good with that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Love right. it. We'll do our best. All right. So the first all-decade award. We should, like, what's the, you get the, the Emmys, the Wallies. Like, we brainstorm a name for this as we go. Maybe we'll come up with it by, like, the 10th one. The Potties. <laughs> there you go. We didn't need to go to 10. The Potty for <laughs> the worst appearing car of the 20 teens. Jed, do you want to lead off with the nominees, or do you want me to go? Yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll give my nominees. Um, this is not including our winner, correct? Or do we? Yeah, let's let's just list the nominees first. And if if you if you nominate my winner, I'll probably have to say something. If I nominate your winner, you'll probably have to say something. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, just you know, this was a tough subject for me because I don't want to tell people that their car doesn't appear well. But if you're uh, on this list, you probably know. Yeah, I think that. That's, that most, if not all, have had some fun with it themselves. Uh, but I have to go with, um, with Hastings T1000. Um, Ooh, that's a good one, yeah. Th this, this car has probably won half a million or more, and it looks like it's got half a million miles on it or more. Um, really good car. This is not a knock on its ability and its... its um, preparation for racing big bucks racing i feel but, like that's almost a prerequisite for the award like i'm not going to pick on something that's a pile of junk and looks like a pile of junk there you go Very yeah well. i'm going to go with something that can get the job done but looks like a pile of junk yeah so the nationwide t1000 but i believe it's in the paint shop and she's going to be dolled up and this is the last year oh. this will qualify for worst appearing car so it's going to end the decade as a choice uh loose well, changes oh sorry let me go back to the t1000 because the first time I really looked at it up close was the fall fling last year and it's awful. Right. But someone yeah, was true. telling me that like it got wrapped and they didn't like the wraps. So they pulled the wrap off and it like ripped half of the paint off. So they tried to primer it. Like there's a long story behind how, just how bad it looked. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't want to talk about the wrap because I'm not sure who wrapped it, but it looked like I wrapped it. Um, <laughs> it, was rough. it was more rougher than it was prior to the wrap and then it, it became more rougher when the wrap came off so you did hear correct okay okay um loose changes vega um may it rest in peace uh, that vega is no longer with us um the new version is coming out and it's going to be really uh, cool and sharp but the old version was uh, nasty dirty no back window um good car good driver bad appearance um and the back window like on purpose well uh, i'm not sure if it's on purpose but when it came out it was definitely 
uh, not replaced on purpose. So, Fair enough. Uh, and lastly, most might not be familiar with this. This is a foot brake guy. Um, this goes all the way down to himself, and I love him, okay? So if he reaches out to me, just know I love you, brother. I really do. I think you're awesome. But just you and your appearance in this car with the helmet that you wear and everything, Jeff Flood's Vega um, is, is challenging to look at for more than just a little bit of time with, with Jeff in it. Um, I'm glad you went there because I don't know Jeff Flood enough to, well enough to call him out, but that came to mind for me. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I know Jeff well enough to do that either, but I do know him well enough to know he's a really nice guy, and he probably won't whoop me. He might have something to say, but he probably won't whoop me. So those are my nominees that did not win for worst okay. appearing car of the decade. Okay. Um, my nominees would be the formerly uh, Brian Robinson, currently McKaggy Brothers, Cutlass Calais. Ah, yeah. A, it's a Cutlass Calais. I mean, there's not one that was pretty, right? And B, it's like four shades of primer. And, and just like the cars that you mentioned will flat off get up in your whoop, right? Oh, it most definitely. Yeah, especially with if any of the three drivers that we just mentioned in it. But that's a rough car. Um, my, my other nominees, I'll throw my Vega in there. Because for the better part of the decade, it was one of the roughest worst looking cars at the racetrack it's going to go to the other end of the spectrum for the 20s we have turned the page right <laughs> but in the teens there's no defending that thing it was rough and and it also doubled as the center support for my dragster for like three years in the trailer so the roof was caved in and i just didn't care i mean it always had all of the windows but if we went a la loose change and knocked one out i don't think that would have phased me a bit <laughs> um and then my last nominee um and this might ruffle some feathers because this is not an indictment on, on Johnny Zell's skills as a paint and body man. Cause he's done some really nice looking stuff, but his Brown dragster is awful. Mm. That's an ugly race car. Um, that yet yeah, Luke, you, you, <laughs> you have touched on my winner. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it just, I listed it as Ezel's Brown Dragster. I mean, it's got bicycle rims on the front of it. It's got diesel truck headers on it, flaps <laughs> on them. Um, it looks like it was washed in dirt, like it was intentionally put on it. Um, obviously very well prepared, great driver, great vehicle, appears uh, awful. And, um, you know, if I never see it again, it'll be too soon. The funny part is, at this point, it's not fooling anybody. I mean, that's the car that won the million. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to roll in and be like, look at this piece of junk. Nobody's going to be like, ooh, that's Johnny Ezell, right? Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, god-awful ugly. Um, okay, so my that probably takes the cake. That's probably the right answer. I'm going to go, and again, the, own, the, 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 the precursor for this was to have an awesome race car that won a lot, but just looks awful. And mine, I think this thing's like halfway retired. I haven't seen it much lately. They've been going with a Calais of their own, which, believe it or not, is an upgrade in terms of looks. Oh, I know where you're headed. But the Ashmore family Firebird might be <laughs> the roughest looking car I've ever seen and not one that you want to pull up beside. That one gets the win for me for worst appearing car of the decade. Oh, that was a great choice. A great choice. Should have made my list, most definitely. Um, <laughs> most definitely a rough ride.
Oh, that's good stuff. That was fun. All right, on to our next topic. This is one, if we thought that the last one was a little dicey, Jed, and might get us into some trouble, this one's sure to go, no, what could possibly go wrong here? Yeah, I'm, this one scares me. <laughs> this award for the 20 teens, best appearing driver of the decade. Now, the way, <laughs> let me try to preface this just a little bit. And because I, I break this, this could obviously be uh, male or female. I don't know. I don't know where your nominees fall, Big Jed. But just to to kind of wrap your head around the thought process here and where I was going is just think about the pros. And and I'll focus this on on the ladies just because I think it's easier to kind of wrap your head around at least what was my criteria for this. Because you've got like the Courtney Force that is just naturally beautiful. And it doesn't seem like she has to try necessarily, right? She just hops out of the car and looks amazing. And then you've got like the Leah Pritchett who is gorgeous, but it seems from the outside like there's effort behind it. Like it's a priority for her to look gorgeous. Like it seems like there's work that goes into it. She always has to present herself as put together. Okay. okay. And then there is the Erica Enders who I find extremely attractive, gorgeous as well, but like she ain't there to look good. She's there to do a job and doesn't, it's seemingly from the outside, doesn't really give a damn if she's not all put together, yeah. right? So that one, I think most of the men <laughs> would fall into, like we, we ain't there to look good. That's not who we're gonna get this award to. This award goes maybe to somebody that just has this natural uncanny, like just good looking, but more or less like what I wanna single out is the people that really make an effort and just kind of give them some props because like ain't everybody shows up to the racetrack to look good, man. Yeah. That's, <laughs> is that where you're going? Uh, yeah. Along those lines, I definitely, and I, I found myself just listing men on my notes. And then I thought, <laughs> you know, man, I, I mean, just, I could look a bad way here if I continue that path. So I made sure that I, I picked out some, um, some easy to look at females as well. Okay. You, you put this into, you became this way more thought than I did because I went with men myself, not because I'm oriented that way. Like I've got proof otherwise, but um, more so because like, I felt like that was the easiest way to stay out of trouble. Yeah. I, okay. I was definitely concerned with not <laughs> listing every female that races. <laughs> I, I just listed a few that, that, you know, I see from time to time or what have you. So. Okay. You, you want your nominees first or you want me to go? Yeah, I'll, I'll run down the list. Um, uh, you know, this guy's near and dear to me. And I think he's just cute as a button. And uh, that's Peeps. Uh, Peeps is just a good looking kid. And, um, you know, he's been snagged up now. So anybody with any ideas, just forget about it. But he, he is. I mean, just a doggone little and cute. And I just love him. Um, last name Ben Pennington. Don't, don't hurt that at all. Uh, Tommy Cable, I mean, let's face it, I, I'm, I'm very yeah. comfortable with my masculinity, and uh, Tommy Cable's a good-looking man. Um, put together well, just doggone he looks good. Well, yeah, absolutely. You're on it. Uh, one that uh, that people might not recognize because he's been absent from the track for a couple of years now, but I think he's coming back, is Denver Maltba. Uh, Denver, mm. Denver from down in the, the uh, east, uh, western North Carolina, eastern Tennessee area. A uh, good-looking young man, takes real good care of himself. This guy is just naturally beautiful, but he does put a little something on it, too, to make himself look a little better, and that's Joe Gary, JoJo Gary. Oh, good one. Okay, yeah, a little sneaky under the radar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely decorated, looks good. 
Um, and you can't talk about beautiful <laughs> men. <laughs> Sorry. You okay. can't talk about beautiful men without listing uh, Mr. Six Minute Abs himself, Chris Forsyth. Uh, Chris, oh, yeah. beautiful man and he's an even more beautiful race car driver um <laughs> there the, are better looking people in this sport than i than i give it credit for you're you're on it okay sports full of beautiful people um <laughs> i'm i'm not well enough I'm, uh erica baker uh emily biondo kendra hall brooke foley those ladies uh to me just naturally pretty ladies um so i i you know i don't want that to any of your men in your life i don't want to you know, cross the line here, any of that. We're not, kind of, we're not trying to cause any trouble here. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, this this some good-looking women as well. Unfortunately, none of you get the potty from me. Uh, that's going to go to someone else. But, um, Luke, that's my, those are my nominees that didn't make it. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got to keep up with the potty reference. We'll do drum roll to the potty when I get through the uh, my, my nominees here. All right, my nominees, uh, for different reasons, um, my first nominee would, is, uh, is Gage Birch. Simply not because he's not a good looking man. He's a good looking man. Um, good looking young man. But uh, when we had Gage on the show, I think one of the like rapid fire questions we had was what would you change about your personal, personal appearance? And just without hesitation, full of confidence, nothing. <laughs> that alone, like just that attitude. You, yeah. You, yeah. You, that's so he, he's a nominee for me. Um, Chad Duke gets a nomination for me. Because when you remember Mike Fuquay, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, in Mike's day when he was racing, one of his go-to lines was, "Hey, you know, something to the effect I, I ain't the prettiest guy out here, but I have model toes, I have model feet. Okay? My, my feet could be a picture of a magazine anywhere. I've got unbelievable feet. It's my best feature. That's <laughs> Chad Duke is the 2010s version of Mike Fuquay, model feet and not afraid to doll them up. I love it." Great reference. Absolutely. So Chad Duke. Um, uh, back to the original conversation, like someone that just puts forth the effort, goes a little bit above and beyond to make sure we look good at the racetrack. I'll go JB Shuffle, James Brown. Always mm -hmm. looking good. Spot on, right? Yes. Downtown looking good. But my drum roll, please. Potty goes to best appearing driver. I'm going to go a little off the grid here. This is like, I know you're familiar with Big Jed, the, the college basketball fans out there. To me, this, this man is the Jay Wright of sportsman drag racing in that like seemingly the older that he gets, the better looking he becomes and he doesn't necessarily have to try. He's just beautiful. Dave Triplett. <laughs> Best appearing driver. Dave is a good looking man, always well prepared. That was a very good choice, Luke. You, uh -huh. well, you nailed that. Okay, where are you going? Uh, my potty goes to a guy that is, he's naturally beautiful, yet that is not good enough for him. He continues <laughs> oh. to work on himself, I mean daily, to, to make himself the best he can be. And that's T.J. Pruitt. Drag coverage is on T.J. Mm. That His good smile one. is unbelievably perfect. His physique is the shape of a V and uh just a guy that's impressive head to toe and just nice too so tj pruitt gets my potty for best appearing driver good stuff all right yeah tj pruitt i think we should have a uh 
like an arm wrestling contest between Triplet and TJ to, to, to settle this. What do you think? I don't know. Congrats, man. TJ. In, in, yeah, in retrospect, that's probably not the fairest way to do that. Okay. Um, all right, let's get a little bit more serious. Actually, a little bit more racing related. Let's go to best win of the decade for a single event. I know you said a couple of these, Jed, you struggled with. Do you have a nominee? I do have several nominees for okay. this uh, for this category. Um, I found myself uh, thinking about obviously big buck racing and and that whole scene, and I couldn't get myself away from it, Luke. Um, one of my nominees that did not win is Jeff Verde's um, 2016 million dollar win at Montgomery, while the first one that he won earlier in the year could qualify as well. This that being the second one yeah, of the right 2016 on the that, season. Yeah. Yeah, it was just super impressive for him to do both coast to coast. Uh, Gage Birch, that the way that whole scene played out on the 525 and, I mean, borrowing a vehicle and all that stuff, and it's a pickup truck, and then he goes and wins that. That's unbelievable. I thought that was a, definitely a nominee. Underwood's 2018 million, since it was the second one of the decade, was, uh, to me, a, a huge win, a very important um, I even have uh, Toby Barnes win over Adam Davis in the Bigfoot 40 because Toby's been doing this for mm. now 40 years and he beat arguably the best foot breaker uh, of all time when it's all said and done for that big $40,000 check, which is huge at the Loose Rocker event. Mm -hmm. uh, Hastings winning the 100K at the SFG and the aforementioned uh, worst appearing T1000. And Pollard's 50K win at the SFG Super Bowl event. Uh, all of those were nominees for me, but boy, do I have a home run for the best win. But I'll, I'll let you give your nominees first. Oh, you've got me on eggshells because I just assumed that Pollard would get yours for, uh, for foot breaking his way to the big win. Well, normally that would. Uh, he was definitely very, very high on the list, but I have a home huh. run best win of the decade. Okay, I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that most of yours came from the big dollar bracket scene, and those are very deserving. I actually had um, Verdi's on my list as well, uh, because the the nominee and and ultimately the the one that I'll single out probably the one that I'll single out especially is a little bit off the grid, but they both come from the NHRA ranks, and for me, it's not just like you talk about an impressive win and. and to some extent, all wins are impressive. We talk about the, the single race win of the decade. To me, there's got to be some serious stakes involved. Like most of what you had had mentioned is the million dollar race or some ridiculously rich prize. The ones that I picked had like championships hanging in the balance on the NHRA side. So the nominee that I'll go with first uh, goes way back. In fact, I think both of these come from 2011. So I, I dug, I, I did way too much research on this, Jed. Yeah, which is difficult to do for bracket racing, I promise you. <laughs> right, yeah. So 2011, um, set the stage here. It's the last divisional event of the season at Las Vegas. Um, and Jody Lang had put together an um, enormous points total. I actually don't have the points in front of me, but it was in the high 600s. It seemingly was the year finally that Jody Lang would get his much-deserved NHRA World Championship. Coming into Vegas, I think there were a couple of racers with a mathematical shot, but all of them were long shots. And one of those racers with a shot was Joe Santangelo. 
Santangelo's last event to claim was the Vegas points meet. He had to win the race. Nothing short of win to win the national championship. Obviously, if I'm talking about it right now, he did just that. But I actually just pulled up the results because I thought, you know, how did, how did that all go down? And the manner in which Joe did it, not so, I mean, like his runs are typical Joe Santangelo runs until the final. He, he, he missed the tree in the final and got away with it. But prior to that, it's everything that you would expect Joe to do. But the, the competition that he rolled through to do this, keep in mind the stakes coming in, right? And he was in Anthony Bertozzi's Camaro, which he's driven ever since. But at the time, I want to say this was one of the first couple of races that he'd run in it, maybe the first. He was in an unfamiliar car, racing for the world championship, gets through the introductory rounds in round four, defeats Jimmy DeFrank, quarterfinals defeats Brad Burton, both former NHRA world champions, semifinals defeats Joe Sorensen, multi-time division six champ, final round defeats Cooter, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. It doesn't get much tougher than that to claim your first world championship, right? With everything on the line. So that one stood out to me. Um, and I, I'm so anxious to get to yours, and you've teed it up. Like, I'm going to save it for last. I'm going to drum roll, please, my potty first, and then we'll go to yours, all right? Okay, I'm in for that. Drum roll, please, my potty for best single event win of the decade goes to <laughs> Peter Biondo. And this is so off the radar. I, I think I've talked about this race before. Like, I've got this goofy fascination with this specific event. Because it wasn't the last race of the year. But I just remember, because I'm, you guys know, I'm kind of a, a math nerd, right? Points nerd. So it's the last Division One event of the year in 2011, the year that Peter Biondo ultimately won the Supergrass World Championship. And there, the, he still had races remaining, but I just remember thinking, he's going to the Englishtown points meet. If he doesn't win that race, I don't think he's going to win the championship. And if I can see that just by looking at the sheet, point sheet, I assume he's feeling the same thing. And it's his hometown race, so that's added pressure. If he goes out and wins, and it's a six-round race, <laughs> and again, it's, it, it's basically, it didn't lock up, but it cemented his title. In the final round, he defeats Mike Sawyer, who he was vying with for the title. So that's like mano a mano. It didn't end up being winner of that round wins the championship, but it felt that way at the time. And just keep in mind the way that I frame this coming in, I think Pete has to win the race to be a legitimate shot at winning the world championship. First round, he missed it. He was 12. <laughs> After that, keep in mind this is super gas, four tenths pro tree, no bump down. Several of the cars in the class can't go O for nothing. He's 12 first round, then he's five, one, eight, three, eight. Oh. Wow. In the final round, Mike Sawyer is 13 take three for, with everything on the line. I would take that any day of the week, twice on Sundays, in Supergas, anywhere in the country. I'd take that at most bracket races. Peter Biondo, 008, 90 with a two, 10 total for the world championship. Like, it's just, when I looked, when I remember pulling up, and keep in mind, too, like, this is aged. Like, this is impressive today. This was in 2011. It was a little different. It was a little sloppier. Nobody went double O every lap, much less in super gas. Wow. It was just the most impressive thing I'd ever seen in the moment. And it still stands out to me now as the, the event win of the decade. But obviously I'm wrong because you have teed this up. Like, wow. where, where are you going here? That was 
a great story and a great win and and obviously did good research and and you got a great memory so you, you as you noticed none of my stuff goes past about 2016 that's about as far back as i can remember but um my win my my best win uh had a lot of build up to it there was there was a lot of discussion about it there was uh, about the event there was a a lot of opinions on who was going to get it done but in the end the team that was told you don't have a chance the guy that was told you're just a homer you're picking your hometown team your home state team and there's this state's better than you that state's better than you there's no way y'all can win it i mean you just picked your team because you're from alabama well we went out on the field and we proved that we were the number one team in the entire country at the 2018 All-State Challenge when the Alabama Slammers kicked the door down and proved we were number one in the state with everybody, Luke, everybody telling us we couldn't win. Trying to get us down on ourselves, we stuck together like Alabamians do. And we won the All-State Challenge in 2018. Now, I know that does that's nowhere near what you thought it was going to be when I teed it up and you were getting all excited about this big bracket win and it was going to take you down memory lane. But welcome to my world. Homer <laughs> Pennington. I got to say, Jed, that, that exceeded my expectations. Yeah, and I should have seen it that. coming. Because... Oh, it felt so good. It, it, it absolutely teed you up. Congratulations on your party. That's well-deserved. <laughs> then um, and now, it felt good, Luke. <laughs> good. Still the only All-State Challenge champion. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this one's right up your wheelhouse, Big Jed. I've got a couple here, but I don't have one that I just feel secure saying, that's the quote of the decade. You've heard more of them. You've had Winter Circle interviews. What is the quote of the 2010s? I, I, like I said, I have good, I have in, in entertaining ones, but I don't think I have the quote of the decade. You want me to share mine first, then, and tee you up? Um, yeah, you, you, you can definitely do that because I think you said you only had a couple or so. So I do. Bring it on. I do. So uh, I only had a couple last time, and I talked for ten minutes too. Um, so I think this actually uh, generated from the race that you just talked about, the the 2018 All State Challenge. Because our, boat, our buddy Bones turned it red in the final, and his post-race quote was, I didn't let it go too early. The light come on too late. That's a good one. I'd that never heard great. that before. That's one of my favorites from the decade. And I then, he got Bones quoted as well. How about that? Well, imagine that. He's a pretty solid quote. Um, <laughs> the other one goes back to, to one, of the, one of the many firestorms of the decade. One of the many firestorms of the decade in which – Johnny Ezel was a main character. <laughs> it was following the staging slash auto start debacle at the Spring Fling. We were in the staging lanes the next day, and I asked him something to the effect of, uh, so what happened there? And he just looked right at me and said, quote, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. And I, I, I guess that's a thing. Like, I don't think we can attribute that directly to Johnny. But it was the first time that I heard it, and I thought it was hilarious. Like, it ended the conversation. I couldn't go anywhere from there. Yeah, that's definitive, no doubt. <laughs> Very good. I love it. 
do you have a, a potty or are you just I don't have a potty I'm hoping okay. that you have a quote that just knocks my socks off and it's unanimous and I'm like that's that's the potty okay well so you know in anytime you're talking about quotes I think you're a, a, a product of what you've heard recently but I tried to think of some things that were a little bit older as well and that that you might hear you know so-and-so says you know like like Big Jed says if you can't break out, ain't no point in letting out. That's a good you know, one. Stuff yeah. like that. And you hear people say that. So, you know, this doesn't fit that. But Gleghorn, when Gleghorn uh, did his live uh, feed on the run at, at the WFC that got so much attention, you know, his quote was Drop City. He's going to need some BC powder as he visits the buyback window. And you think, you know, that's pretty funny, but is it like the quote of the decade? Keep in mind, he had just gone past the finish line, set it down to kill eight to go dead on, and just, <laughs> bam, just popped in his head. So the, the, the quick, the wittiness of it just, to me, made it a nominee. Yeah, because um, that's, that's not a common thing. That's not something I can do. Yeah, that's, that's difficult. Um, so uh, Dadis, uh, I reached out to a buddy of mine, and he mentioned this one that I, I thought fit. Um, that is in the semis of the, the 500K uh, fall fling at, at Bristol. Um, you know, I asked him about that previous run when we were doing the top end interviews. And he said, I knew I took a load right there, but I wasn't going under. So I thought, you know, I mean, there you go. That's what Big Jed says. Sure. If you can't break out, why let out? Why lift? Um, this one has some staying power. You hear people say this all the time. That Disco says, the more you take, the more you make. Ooh, that that might be the potty. That one was going to be my potty, okay. Uh, because because of again the longevity of it, the the many times that it gets referenced by others. I thought that that made it a great quote. And what's going to win my potty doesn't get referenced a bunch by others by others, but I thought it was so fitting. This is not the potty, by the way. Bones said after winning a national event at Atlanta. Um, just right inside, I think it was 2010, 2011, actually, uh, whenever that was. And they interviewed him and said, you know, how do you do this and how you stay focused and this and that and all that. And Mom said, ah, you know, I mean, sometimes you get lucky. Next time out, I might get lost going to the staging lanes. And I thought, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a great one. That really, is, that really is great. Before you but get my, to the potty, I had one more just pop into mind. How could we have this segment without a quote from Underwood, right? There's got to be an Underwoodism, right? And the the quote was something to the effect of, uh, I just lost it. I lost it. (laughs) Lost quote. I didn't have it written down. I I, I lost it. It was an Underwoodism. Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay. I was about to just spit out another Underwoodism because I've got them like on command, but it was Kenny. I think, I don't even think it was after a a run that he got away with. I think it was like a run that maybe I or one of our, one of our buddies got away with. It was just in conversation and whoever the driver was was kind of beating themselves up like, man, I should never still be in and Underwood like only he can was, listen, anybody can win being double O takes a man to win with that kind of life. I like that because we can I all we like can all fall back on that, right? I do like those. I, I wasn't like that things. wasn't a very good Underwood impression, by the way, because there was a huh somewhere in there. <laughs> so my potty, the potty goes to goes to. Uh, 
I think this was 2015. Um, one big Jed Pennington was racing at the Jegs Summer Door Car Shootout at I-57 Drag Strip in Benton, Illinois. And the promoter named Luke Bogacki was having a discussion with him about you know, the wind light not coming on in the that previous run. And Big Jed said, well, Luke said, what happened? And Big Jed said, I man, just couldn't run the dial in, got beat. Luke's response was, then why did you dial it? That's stupid. <laughs> and I thought, it just immediately, I didn't even get offended. I was like, Luke, that's a, that's a very good point. You should never dial something you can't run. I mean, that was stupid. It was direct, and it was a lesson to Big Jed to never dial again something that you can't run. And I have, I have lived by that. That is stuck with me for years and will continue to. And I actually give that, I, I pass that lesson on to others uh, that I, that I um, tutor. And, um, and I've used that line quite a bit. So it does have stay in power. It's got longevity. It's relevant at all times in racing. While everybody hasn't heard it and don't know it, now you know, and you're welcome to use it. Uh, but please reference one Luke Bogacki uh, and the potty for a quote of the decade. So glad I could make a contribution, Jed. That's that smart-ass Luke coming out. Because I'm pretty sure I said that in jest. Like, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, you can take it that way. You can take it as smart-ass. <laughs> but it was really a lesson. And it's something that, that has stuck with me. Uh, since I since I didn't have one, Jed, just drumming up old summer door car shootout memories, I'll go with one from you because this is back version like 1.0 of the summer door car shootout where we're in the tower that's speaking water and everything else. Right? There's so many good quotes from those days. <laughs> the year that Donnie Ellis won the burnout contest. Like you just got to understand how the burnout contest works at the summer door car shootout. I, I may have shared this before in the podcast. If I have deal with it, it's hilarious. So big Jed or whoever, you know, Willie comes in and announces, but in, in the first several years, it was, it was Jed that was doing all the announcing duties and I'd just be on them. Jed, build it up, get them going, get them going. Cause we do the burnout contest in second round, right? <laughs> yeah. Which just adds to the fun of it. As far as I'm concerned. So if anybody can do a big burnout when there's not, when you can buy back in. Right, right. Yeah. Who cares, right? You got to back up and actually try to win the race. That's what makes it fun. So, um, so I'm just kind of, if there's four pair that go without like lighting the tower on fire, I was on jet. Come on, get them going. This is boring. Like, let's do a freaking burnout. Can somebody do a burnout? Right. Just on and on and on. So Jed's building it up and we're probably two thirds of the way through second round. And Donnie Ellis rolls up in a, in a Beretta that would go five teens and he had done called his shot, like told me for two months prior, I'm getting that set of tires. I'm going to have the best burnout. Right? So I know Donnie's going to put on a show. Well, Donnie comes out of his burnout and, you know, about the time that he gets, you know, halfway between the water box and the starting line, like he's pretty well lost it. Like it's got a lot of power and it's dead sideways and he realizes I'm about to screw up bad. Right. <laughs> So he stays in it a little longer, sashays it around, has to lift, and didn't do like the longest or the smokiest burnout. But when he came to a stop, he was almost 90 degrees in the middle of the racetrack. 
Like it required a seven point turn to yeah. get back to where he could stage. <laughs> Y'all know where the bleachers are. He was looking straight in them. <laughs> straight up. <laughs> so he gets backed up and squared up and Jed's just like it, the first time I think that I've really seen you at a loss for words. Like you just got this dumbfounded look on your face. Finally click the microphone on and say, all right, guys, if you're back in the staging lanes and you had designs on winning this set of tires, winning this burnout contest, just give up. Donnie Ellis wins because if you're going to outdo that, we're going to have to have medical attention on the racetrack. It's not worth it. <laughs> Donnie wins. Donnie wins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember saying if you had to do a three point turn turnabout when you got done with your burnout, it was, you probably had a good chance of winning. But that was vintage Big Jed. Those were great years. Uh, it rained in the tower that year. Um, I remember the, the same year. Yeah. I remember the guy that his last name was Hollering, and he went like, I don't know, 480s. <laughs> I'm in a door car. And that's exactly what I'd be doing if I was in that car. So those, those he still great, comes every year. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, let's move on. We had so many good quotes from the 2010s. It's a great decade. Great decade. <laughs> Uh, um, all right, most dominating performance. And this is a little bit different than the single event win. Like I kind of went the way of domination in my event wins, uh, but this didn't necessarily have to be a, a, a huge event. Didn't necessarily have to be a single event. Could be uh, an event, could be a stretch, like a month long stretch, could be a, a full season. So where are your nominees for the most dominating performance of the decade? I was really bad at this one, Luke. Um... I feel like I've been pretty solid up until now, or I'm going to let you and the listeners down. Um, so the 2011 million dollar, I said none of mine go past 2016, but a couple do. 2011, I think was the year that Sugar won the million. And I remember him driving, which much like he does these days, uh, insane. I uh, like just driving extremely well and you know, in early in the race, like he continues this, there's no way anybody's beating sugar. And then he gets it done. It was, it was a real big deal. Cause I think sugar had taken a little time away and, and come back strong. So I, I thought that was a, a dominating performance by him. Um, of course the peep show uh, in the buggy uh, at the, at the spring fling million last year, uh, West May's 2015 season. Mm, yeah. Um, dialed, you know, 683 pretty much seemed like every week and an, a huge target on his back was getting major attention from everywhere. And, and, you know, just people seemingly intimidated just by his presence in the other lane. And he continued to win like he did. Uh, and lastly of my, my wins or nominees that did not win was uh, Casey Pesnell getting the $50,000 SFG win at 14 years old. I had to switch cars and was, you know, the attention was starting to, to gather. There was a whole lot of hoopla uh, late in that race about him and his age and, and the rights and the wrongs and the lies and the cheats and um, for him to continue on and, and get that win at such a young age, I thought was pretty dominating, but I, I do have a potty that uh, is not listed there yet. No, you bring up a good point on KC because regardless of where you stand on that issue, I don't think you can take away from just how impressive it is to be able to compartmentalize that and perform on that stage at that age. Um, yeah. But at 14, let's be honest, you, you got feelings. You get your feelings hurt still at, at the age of 14. And, and the whole world was against him. 
14. I'm 38. Get my feelings. Um, <laughs> my uh, my nominees for most dominating performance. Uh, both both of my nominees. My 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 potty actually goes to a single event, but both of my nominees are for a full season, and they would be. I'm not going to spend too much time on them because we have discussed them ad nauseum here on the podcast. But it would be Allison Dahl's 2019 season, uh, as we've discussed first driver in NHRA history mm. to go perfect on the Lucas Oil side. You get to claim five yeah. races. She won five races. Uh, first racer from not including comp and the alcohol classes, first sportsman racer to ever accomplish that feat. Um, and then my other nominee would be uh, the aforementioned Kenny Underwood for his entire 2018 season. Because there's probably been instances where racers had as successful a season as Underwood and maybe even on a similar stage relative to that time period like like you mentioned West May in 2015 that was probably similar domination but the fact that Kenny did it when the in the year that everything really began to elevate and he was in like four or five fifty thousand dollar finals including the million and seemingly went on his run from June through October, seemingly, where he was in a final every weekend or every other weekend. And we're not talking like $800 to win finals. You know, we're talking five graders, 10 graders, 30 graders, 50 graders, million dollar race, just all the time. Um, it was just an unbelievably dominant season. Uh, I agree. And and Underwood was actually my potty. The 2018 season was unbelievable. We talked about him Every single time we got on air, uh, it was over and over. Those big money wins uh, had some finals that he didn't win, but uh, that was even rare, if I remember correctly. And just um, the whole thing around the million as well, when people were trying to make him a bad guy for just wanting to race for the advertised purse, which is uh, there's no crime in that. Luke Bogacki taught me that a long, long time ago. Um, so just everything around him uh, doing it in two different cars one long car one car with doors just very impressive and we might not see a, a season that that impressive again so underwood was my potty for the most dominating performance 2018 that's a good one um my potty goes to i told you it was going to be for an event win and it goes way back to the start of the decade uh, my potty goes to john labouche jr it was the first Spring Fling Bristol 2010. Great. Four-day event. And the winner of the first three days was John LaBouche Jr. I didn't stutter. He won mm. the Thursday race. I've got it in front of me here. Um, defeated George Rupert in the final round. Um, and was no worse than 13 all day. Um, oh, shoot. I've lost it here. April 2010. Oh man, I gotta pull this up because it was like I was just thumbing through it pre-show and was just blown away by the numbers that he put up and also the names that he went through. Like the the Friday race was the end of his reign. That was that was day three that he won. And just Friday alone, he had one run where he was fifteen. Other than that, his worst lights ten. And the names that he defeated along the way, Troy Williams Jr., Mikey Bloomfield. Jason Lynch, Jason Lynch, Mike Fuquay, Chad Hedgecock in the final. Like it was just because you think of the fling as the one of the premier stages in our sport. Now, granted, this was the first one, and that's what I think is interesting too. That I think in some ways 
the mystique and the allure of the fling brand can be attributed at least somewhat to Laboose just running it over and how unbelievable that story was from year one. Very, very good point. And that's a great nomination or great potty uh, award because that was one of the most dominating performances I've ever witnessed. Um, can't believe I left that off my list, but again, it, it dates so far back that I had let it slip past me. But I can remember myself, uh, I was not the announcer for that. Alan Reinhardt was the announcer. Um, That's right. Yeah. But, for sure. uh, <clears throat> I was just kind of a race official that, that Peter and Kyle had hired to just to make sure, hey, just make sure we're not doing anything off the path here and just kind of, you know, you, you put on races at Bristol, bridge that connection, whatever. So I can remember him winning the first one, obvious the first day, uh, as the second day started rolling, it's getting late in the rounds. I'm, I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, he won't win, but he's having a heck of a performance because you just right. don't win two days in a row. <laughs> right. And then he does it. And then it's impossible to do that again. He does it again. I can just remember thinking that that was probably the most impressive performance I've ever witnessed day after day after day and, and still might should have gotten my potty, but uh, it was unbelievable. What struck me about it, just looking at it today was how well it's aged because you just assume you go through three days of race and they're eight, nine round races. Like, there's no way that he was just unstoppable for 26 straight rounds, right? He got away with some, but you look at it now on the round by round he didn't get away with much. He was pretty much unbeatable for yeah. three straight days. Yeah, he was. And I can remember that uh, Peter had me going out and doing interviews like in the semis and, you know, hey, you got so-and-so here next round, uh, changing anything. You, you go on. And every time I'd walk up to Laboose, and this happened obviously over a few days uh, quite often, every time I'd walk up to him at that microphone, he'd say, get away from me, big I don't want to talk on that thing. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, Okay, John, I, you know, I don't want no trouble. John, he, he can just be intimidating just, you know, the way he talks to you or whatnot. And sure. he's out there just dominating like that. It was, oh, what a weekend. All right. We're about halfway through, Jed. Let's pay some bills. We'll come back with our last six potties for the decade. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available subscribe and, and and you can do that on Google Play you can do that on iTunes you can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today just subscribe that way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast you'll be the first to know and do us a favor tell your friends about the podcast get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the sportsman drag racing podcast over the PA on race day reasons to use BTE tune-up services number one quick turnaround time you won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts number two unparalleled customer service and responsive communication reason number three all brands of parts are accepted it's not like they just work on bte parts number four bte offers freight shipping discounts they are located in the shipping capital of the united states near memphis tennessee and number five reason to use bte tune-up services quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice 
Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through or everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that for me personally, I chose Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular op- application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote, and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote. All right, we're back, Big Jed. The next potty is for the social media account of the decade. You want to list nominees or you want me to go first? Oh, I'll, I'll jump out there with them. Um, I, you know, I'm not a... I'm not real good at social media follows. You know, I wouldn't say that I intentionally go look for people, but um, I'm glad I got some people on my timeline that, that pop up from time to time. Good ones for me that did not win are Disco Dean. Uh, he is now no prep Kings guy. He's not one of us anymore, but he's still one of us and always will be. Um, Disco, just <laughs> funny. Just a yeah. funny guy. A lot of fun to watch his videos and, and see what he's got to say. That it slipped uh, my mind. That's a really good one. Yep. Uh, another guy that he don't he don't post videos and all this type of stuff, but just seems like everything he says has got just a little bit of funny to it. And that's David Bird Jones. Again, a guy that's gone through his no prep phase and, and currently is back on our side doing some bracket racing. But uh, David Bird Jones is a lot of fun. Former uh, guest here on the podcast, uh, one of the most difficult edits you've ever had uh, in the history of podcasts. May, may or may not have been his finest hour. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, this guy is, he's just out there, just crazy, um, you know, off the wall a little bit, and, but I love him. I love to see what Shabs has to say. Shabs is a fun follow for me. Um, <laughs> you follow, did you just follow up disco and bird and then preemptively say this guy's a little out there yeah, <laughs> <Whoa>. yeah. <laughs> I, I might should have said that a little earlier as i was talking giving out names but um shabs is uh, shabs is fun folly he's, he's a good thinker just yeah just weird enough that he, he's fun to see what he's got to say um, and my last nominee that did not win is drag coverage. Uh, you know, while I'm all about funny and want to see what people have funny to say, drag coverage to me as a follow is um, 
is a lot of fun. It's informative. I think they do a good job of highlighting people in our sport. And I just don't remember a post that they've made over the last few years that I hadn't wanted to check out and see what it was about. Mm. So drag covers yeah. a good follow. Almost feels like they do a little bit of uh, investigative reporting too, which is yeah. kind of uh, missing in our sport, for lack of a better word. Those are all really good ones. I uh, I went more the the way of uh, just the the stuff that cracks me up or is enjoyable. Well, with a couple of exceptions. Um, one one other thing, Luke. Before you before you move forward, uh, sure. I, I didn't roll the page down. I had this one in there too. Drag champ. Uh, drag champ yeah they're doing again really an, another another site doing wonderful things for our sport and you know got some people working there that that live racing and you can tell by the material they're putting out so good follow there yeah no doubt um another guy that lives racing and i just uh, a couple of these are from twitter and i know that not everybody listening's a, a twittery Twitter, Twitter, yeah. Not everybody listening is on Twitter, but um, another guy that just knows his stuff and is super smart, just super insightful, and I just enjoy his perspective is Brian Loans. I think he's an awesome follow, um, so yeah. that's one to check out. Um, Fast and Fincham for sure. The, he might should deserve the, the potty. Like he kind of revolutionized the game and what he does. We've had him on the podcast. Like it's so fun and it's also valuable like it's a great way to learn and he's got obviously the unique spin on it that only hot rod fincham could have um another twitter follow and it's just funny it's more geared at the pro stuff but there is a uh, a twitter account called the nhra timing block and basically w what it does is come on every time that somebody runs them over be like hey got me right <laughs> but it's kind of clever in a unique way like i i enjoy it so the nhra timing block it's a shout out um i don't even know if i can say this on the podcast but double o shit show is funny like at times crosses the line probably <laughs> that's a good one if you don't follow that check that out that's it, it it's 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 worth the laugh but uh where where are we going here with the the social media follow of the decade the potty goes to well, mine is one that is not going to be mainstream, but I hope people take the time to go check him out. Now, I will give a, uh, a language uh, warning here. Um, my, man, my man will, he will say what's on his mind, whatever word is on his mind. But doggone if he ain't just funny with, the, with what he wears and his whole get up, and that is Poo Poo Pasquale. I don't have any idea if you've ever heard of Poo Poo Pasquale. I think you've made reference of him before, but I can't say that I follow Poo Poo. It's, it's Stuart Olin. It's a guy from South Louisiana. He's a racer. He works on race cars, races cars. He, he's all about racing. But his Moron Monday um, social media posts are some of the funniest doggone things I've ever seen. You know, he wears these goofy teeth, sunglasses that, that look like they're about eight times larger than what they should be. This funny looking um, Mardi Gras hat. He's got a Cajun accent. Uh, sound like he got a little Ed Ogeron gravel in his voice. Um, just, just fun to me. Just a fun follow. I, I was going to um, do it. I was going to have a co-potty. I was going to say WTR. A co-potty, okay. W WTR to me is deserving of the potty but they have uh, picked on me before so i am not I, just because of that i am not going to award them the potty but they are a solid 
solid number two. So WTR, if you're listening, uh, you do a great job, but you, you can't can't get on me. I can't allow it. All right, Jed, you might have stole my thunder. Um, the uh, maybe it's because uh, like I, I know most of the players involved, so I feel like I, I maybe get some of the inside jokes that maybe not everyone does. But the WTR stuff does crack me up. And I, I believe, <laughs> along with you, I, I have been the subject of, uh, of, of some of the laughs there. But I'm okay with that. Like they're, uh, That's yeah. good stuff. The, uh, WTR gets my, uh, my social media follower of the decade. And they should. They should really be the winner because they, they don't give a crap. <laughs> and I love that about them. And I know the players there, and you do too. And, and they're awesome guys and just fun to hang around with. Uh, but WTR, is a, it's an awesome site. All right. Best single round of the decade. Who are your nominees for the potty? Uh, I'm really – I failed here really bad uh, because I, I somebody ought to build a site for bracket racing history research now I know there's not no it's not possible but i tried to research the the run where the guy was like one total and, and got beat to the guy that was perfect and i think it was in ohio somewhere and i think it might have been chris bear but yeah it, it happened like just like, recently either both of them were one total Oof. and one of them come up on the short end of it it happened the, the post was on but golly i couldn't couldn't find it so you know i don't know how runs get any better than that i mean that would yeah just mathematically the, I, I don't guess that they do <laughs> yeah that would seemingly be the best single round of the decade um the the semi run at the spring fling million i'm at the spring fling um the fall fling oh, excuse me yeah that was um, ridiculous yeah Ivy Hutto golf cart race um, between uh, Tom Cable and um, Jeremy York, right? Jeremy York, yes, yes, Jeremy York. That was uh, that was Is that two maybe, total to three total. That was maybe the best run I've witnessed myself. It was either two to three or two to four, but it was very very impressive. Um, but to me, the the best single run of the decade, single round win of the decade. Uh, was and again, this is uh, this is very Homer, and I've mentioned it already. But Ryan Gleghorn <laughs> announcing his run at the WFC, and so Homer, I get it. But it's my list, and I get to, I get to say whoever I want. Um, that run to me was one of the most epic passes I've ever watched. Uh, I mean, the man knew he was late, called it out, let everybody know that was listening. Uh, said, you know, basically, here comes the drop. Drops him, kills eight. The whole BC powder thing at the buyback window, just start to finish from the staging process on, and he's talking about it the whole time, which is so Rodney Fancham. Hot Rod deserves mention here because it's it's kind of what he does every run, but that was the best single run that I've got to witness. It was awesome. He gets my potty. That's a good one. That's 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 going a little off the grid, but that's warranted. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, like you said, I don't even know now. I want to say that I was there, but it's one of those things that's so long ago that it almost feels like I don't remember the details, so it, it almost feels like it's a wives' tale. Like, it's just part of the mystique that is Scotty Richardson. 
if I remember, you know, this is this doesn't count even as this decade. This is probably like mid two thousands when Scotty was winning everything all the time. Like there's the story that his opponent was one total and lost, you know, in, in the stretch of one of his ten consecutive week win streaks or something like that. But at this point, like I don't even know if that happened. You know what I mean? It might just have added <laughs> to the, the the myth, the legend that is Scotty Richardson. Exactly. So for this decade, there were three that stood out to me. Um, the first, just recent, um, the Supergas final from the Vegas national event this fall. Uh, and I, I know in bracket racing, we see packages like this on the regular, but it's pretty rare to see in quarter mile on the throttle stop, specifically in Supergas. Evan Kowalski, uh, 002, dead on six. That's eight total. I just said that I would take 13, take three any day of the week in Supergas, and I would. I would damn sure take eight total. And uh, Evan got four change. Ray Ray Miller, 001 take four to be dead on three that's a pretty nasty run and then when you combine it like that's a national event final that's worthy of mention so that's a nominee for me another nominee and this one comes from personal experience not the kind of personal experience my dad used to say experience is what you get when you don't get what you want so (laughs) this would qualify um but this was i don't even remember the year maybe 2016 ish 17 i don't know 17. What year did you say you won the all-star race? 18? Maybe it was 18. 2018. I think it was that year. Um, semifinals at that same event. Semifinals of the 50 grander. I am uh, paired with Chris Bear. We are both 10. We are both one thou under. His win light comes on. I don't. I still to this day don't really know why or how, how that gets determined, but I know that it didn't work out in my favor. It was a pretty good one it was with high stakes. But the, the round of the decade for me, the potty goes to um i believe this would have been 2017 but i may be a year off million dollar race it wasn't in the million it was in the 30 grander the day before but it had gotten postponed and it was actually being finished the morning of the million so it had some some probably more intrigue than it normally would and it was like 10 ish cars left josh baker lays down three total is when light doesn't come on jeremy jensen one end to end Given the stakes, the stage, oh. everything else, that one stands out to me is if I had to pick one. And, and again, I don't have all the numbers from every bracket race in front of me. That one to me was the the run, single run that we were talking about two weeks later. Yeah, that's, oh, I remember us talking about that for sure. That was uh, that was a great run, very deserving. Another one that pops into my head was when Ray Ray beat Ricky Jones in the, the final of the million. I believe that was 2013. That was, I remember that being an epic run. That was, yeah. Had some really strong numbers, I think. Maybe Tricky was double O and even took double O and didn't get it done or something like that. I remember that being a really good race, too. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah, that's another good one. Imagine that. Ray Ray on the good end of two of those. You'd think he, <laughs> he might know what he's doing. Um, right, this one was tricky for me, and I don't know... I don't know if you felt the same way but I, we try to do best event of the decade you could go a lot of different ways from this like maybe as a whole maybe for the quality of the winners or the quality of the competition or the depth or the stories that came from it i struggled with this there was only one that jumped out to me and i don't know that it's like a, a monumental event looking back on it um but w- what did you have for best event of the decade so yeah i mean my goodness luke that's really not possible to to say um you know 
all the million dollar races, these big SFG races. Personally, the WFC races are wonderful to me. Loose Rocker thinks doing great things in the sport and, and have put on some amazing events that's that shaped the way uh, racing is now. But to me, the the flings are a different kind of event. I mean, they just separate themselves from the pack in the way they do things top to bottom, so detail oriented, so calculated, but the very, or the favorite, uh, I guess, or best event to me was the 2010 spring fling. It was the very first one and it was a lot of trouble. It was rain forecasted every day. Um, you know, the guys were battling a extremely difficult forecast, low car count, and just all around rough feeling around that that you know that they're going to get hurt here and this looked so good on paper but probably won't ever happen again because of how bad they they got hurt in year one so that wouldn't seem like it could be the event of the decade. Why and you got say, John LaBoose Jr. just running over the field. Like that can't be good for business. A very good point. Very <laughs> good point. You know, the, 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 the dragster is winning. This was the whole dragster door car kind of separation thing was beginning there with that event. Um, and this dragsters winning. So I say that, that it's the event of the decade to me because Although it was a failure on paper from a financial standpoint, the the structure, I believe, since the guys said, you know what, we believe in it. We think we just got a, a tough break here. We're going to go again with it in 2011. That decision stemming from 2010's event, I believe, has shaped bracket racing in a totally different way in that decade so I, I wanted to look back to something that might have had a tremendous impact on on racing today and you know i don't know what would have happened this decade luke but had the guys not made the decision to let's do it again and just see because we believe in this model mm. and it actually got better much better in year two for the racers and from the racers you know i think it molded how we go about structuring events today and promoters know they're going to be compared with that structure because it is at the top of the chain and I think it gives the racers a better product. So I, I believe the spring fling, while again, it was a failure financially, the decision by Peter and Kyle and Emily to push forward and do this again has shaped bracket racing for that decade. And I, I'm gonna call it the event of the decade. Well said, because if you allow yourself to think down that line, if that event hadn't happened, if that structure wasn't in place, if that brand hadn't elevated itself the way that it has over the course of this decade, what would big dollar bracket racing look like today? I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what it would look like. It would be different, and I don't think it would be as good. Yeah, and as a promoter, if you're starting to build events of your own for the first time, you think, well, that didn't work, so we're definitely not going to go down that path. <laughs> right. But obviously, from year two on, it has been extremely successful. No, and, and if, to, if you were going to look at it from that perspective as to 
and and the and the it lines up perfectly because as you said the first playing was 2010 so it is really the the series of the 20 teens i think without question and the impact that it's had and i agree with you i i, I do think it's the gold standard um and it's changed the game and if you were going to look at this through the lens of like i'm going to pick the best string of events or series of events of the decade i'd have a hard time arguing with that i took this from a little bit different perspective and again i don't feel like i have a great answer but i was just trying to think of the combined um, resume of the winners at a big prestigious event and uh, i fell back on actually one of the last um pbir five days it was back in 2011 and keep in mind i'm like you like there's not a great um way to research this so like there were probably flings that look like this or probably millions that look like this where the the four or five winners are hall of famers but that race in 2011 um you know you've got the the typical pbir moroso five-day shot with each of the daily winners holding up their checks and one it was shortened by rain so there was only four individual day winners but they were gary williams shane carr wesley washington mia tedesco and the weekend points champion John LaBoost Jr. And I don't know that you could have necessarily like a more, a better story of domination from the decade than those five, right? It just seemed like a really incredible collection of talent in one winter circle. Yeah, that's, you, you might not ever see that that kind of accomplishment over a group of winners ever again uh, in, a, in one event. So yeah, very, very good point. All right, let's turn the knob over to uh, the more controversial side. We've discussed most of these on the Pfizer, most of the ones on my list. How about the disqualification of the decade? So this one was, while it was so difficult, because it's not something that happens every event, you know, you get a, a great win every event, you get a great event every event, but you don't get very many of these. So, um, you know, I think back, uh, Jake Hodge got uh, DQ'd in um, Evansville, Indiana in 2017. Like he broke on the track and the, the, the track operator comes down and is talking to him. And Jake says, you know, can I, can you still switch cars? And he says, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't care. That's fine. You need a tow back. I'll tell you back. Yeah. Jake pulls up in the staging lanes and all of a sudden guy changed his mind. I think the racers got to him and, and uh, he kicked him out and that, that created a, a huge, huge social media stir up, and there was video of the guy saying, "Yeah, you can change." It was, it was a whole nasty thing. <laughs> Very um, good luck. <laughs> Ezel obviously uh, being DQ'd at uh, Bristol earlier this year or later last year, excuse me, at the fall fling um, created a firestorm that was got a ton of attention. Um, I remember the situation at, at extreme raceway park between Ezel and the, the owner. <laughs> How many of these that, is Johnny going to be a part of? <laughs> I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was a KO or a DQ or what, what happened there, but <laughs> I think there was fisticuffs and some stuff went on. I, I'm not sure if Johnny was allowed to, to compete, but uh, none of them win my potty. Um, so polarizing. I, I, Johnny. <laughs> I will hold that for a guy that's so quiet too. He, he does, does quite a ruckus, uh, but I'll, I'll hold my, my potty here on the DQs, but I, I think everybody knows where, where I'm going here. Okay. Um, 
one that you didn't mention, maybe it's your potty, the, the, the firestorm that was Jerry Emmons' excessive breaking disqualification from the Phoenix national event a few years ago. That was a good one. Like, it seemed like we were talking about that for a month after. I said at the time, I'll get out my, I'll get out my I told you so's. I said at the time that we would go a decade without there being another disqualification for excessive breaking because they're going to realize that you can't, you can't police that, right? It's completely uh, arbitrary since, at least to my knowledge, not any disqualifications for excessive breaking in an NHRA competition. Um, so that makes the list for nominees. Um, <laughs> I had uh, I had Ezel's uh, Spark Show at Bristol on my list as well. I also had uh, this will be the third of uh, of this discussion that Johnny was involved in. I'll go with the uh, the the staging drama at the Vegas uh, Spring Fling. I believe that's circa 2018, which we discussed earlier. The the stupid game, stupid prizes that created a firestorm that was uh, that was actually mike rock in the other lane so it would actually be mike rock's disqualification not johnny bracket racers in this instance but johnny certainly played a role in that one um so that would be a that would be a notable dq from the decade um the one that stood out to me <laughs> this was uh peter viando won and he won like two classes in one day at one of four size races one of the west coast classic events in Tucson, I believe it was last early last season, and in the final round of no box, Pete turned it red, and his opponent, and I mean I'm not saying that like every no box car is slow, but this was a legit like six second eighth mile car, crossed the center line to give Pete the win. That doesn't happen every day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, so we're down to two. Did I? I didn't list off your uh, your potty winner. You did. You listed okay. mine. But just when you said that about crossing the center line reminded me of the DQ. Uh, was it? It was Lester. That's where I was going with the potty. Yeah. Oh, my apologies. I'll let you do that. Mine was Emmons. You you said Emmons. Um, that DQ was uh, unprecedented and it will, you know, again, at least it went the rest of the decade without happening again. You're probably right. We probably won't see it for a decade. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there was a lot of regret in the NHRA after that decision was made when they really reviewed it. But nonetheless, it happened, and I think it was uh, the DQ of the decade. So tell us about yours. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably fair. Uh, the, the Lester uh, – hold on, let me get it straight. It's not Lester Atkins. It's Lester Johnson. God, why do I confuse those? All right. So, yeah, we, <laughs> we talked about this in real time, like shortly after it happened. But the the stage and the stakes of this one elevated it for me because – this was in the final round of Top Sportsman at the Joliet National Event, which also is home to the Jegs All-Stars. And any time that you win the Jeg, both the Jegs All-Stars and the National Event, NHR, or, uh, Jegs, and I guess with NHRA's blessing or facilitation, kicks in a significant bonus. Not only do you get the prize money for both races, you get a $5,000 bonus from Jegs for doubling up on the weekend. Lester Johnson had won the Jags All-Stars, advances to the final round of Top Sportsman in the regular national event, where he's running Don O'Neill and Don O'Neill red lights, similar to the situation we just discussed in Tucson, except Lester Johnson's going like 6'10 in a shoebox, right? So I give him a little bit more leeway for crossing the center line. That was, that was the, the big debate of this because it's two years later and we still don't really know 
if Lester Johnson crossed the center line. Clipped a cone, looked like he clipped it with the, uh, the headers, like the Zumi exhaust at the side. Might have just blown it off with the exhaust itself is the speculation. He was really close to the center line, but uh, NHRA made the decision that he was disqualified. Depending on who you talk to, was a rightful DQ or a wrongful DQ, That's that elevates the, the conspiracy of this. Because pretty much anybody you talk to on Emmons says, like, that dude shouldn't have been thrown out. What the hell were they doing? With Lester, like, it was a really polarizing thing. And it not only determined the final round of a national event, but also that bonus money from Jags and the opportunity to do something, you know, once in a lifetime deal to run the table at Joliet, all-stars and the national event, uh, just a bizarre chain of events and discussion that followed. And I don't know, I'm, like, I'm here for that content. I, I, I live for that stuff. So uh, I, I just enjoyed following it throughout. Yeah, that was uh that was a crazy DQ. And like you said, still today, we're, we're not sure how accurate his uh, DQ was for crossing the center line, but I had to let that and slip by, and then I hate I mentioned it because it was your potty. Well, you know, sometimes you got to go with the potty. Um, I, I feel like we've lost a little bit of, uh, of gumption. Like, we started off on a roll, and I was laughing at everything you said, and like, <laughs> kind of dwindled. but we saved the best for last, right? I so think we got, so. we've got two more awards, and it's kind of the same award, but it's not the same award at all. We're going to close this up with the goat of the decade, followed by the goat of the decade. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. right. First off, this is so confusing in this day and age because there's, there's, there's multiple goats. Because when I was growing up, the goat was Bill Buckner that like had the arrow with, arrow with the ball going through his legs, right? The, that was the, the scapegoat. But you've also now got all caps goat, which is the acronym for greatest of all time different ends of the spectrum right yes so let's first go with the lowercase goat of the decade and then we'll close it on a happier note uppercase goat of the decade lowercase goat Jed. any nominees uh luke i totally failed you here i figured um, you wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole <laughs> well right. i look i wanna i wanna th i'm sitting here racking my brain right now thinking you know i obviously misunderstood in the show notes, I misunderstood this intention, and uh, I let this slip by me. So I have no nominees or potties for this, but if I can think of somebody that I want to be the GOAT, believe you me, I will call them out and, and make them the lowercase GOAT of the decade. All right. So <laughs> I've got a few nominees. In the process of trying to determine the uppercase GOAT of the decade, I spent way too much time researching this and, and looked back on on the NHRA side, world championships and top 10 performances throughout the decade and, and got my uppercase goats. Within that, I also thought, ooh, like, because it's really impressive to finish in the top 10 NHRA nationally, right? But when you do it for 10 consecutive years and don't ever win a championship, like, there's a part of this that's just unfulfilling, right? And you, like, I'm not calling out any of these people for lack of performance. This is amazing to, to accrue multiple top 10s. But you get one without winning, like you're kind of the goat, right? Like you, you're the get close guy, but you didn't quite finish it. Like the all times would be Jody Lang, would be Tony, Tommy Phillips. That have, I don't know how many top ten, top tens Jody Lang's got. It's a bunch. I know Tommy Phillips has finished second six times, six times. It's ridiculous. Like you would, without ever winning a championship, you would think, eventually, like things would just fall into place for him, right? So the goats along those lines, from the 20 teens. The aforementioned Tommy Phillips, 
eight top tens in the 20 teens alone, zero championships. Mike Sawyer, who in Supergas, every year from 2010 to 2017, finished in the top 10. His, his life priorities have changed a little bit the last couple of years. He got a new car, right? Um, and just had a baby. So the, 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 the chase hasn't been there quite like it was, but seven straight years, eight straight years, right? Because 10 to 17. Finished in the top 10 of Supergas, unbelievably impressive. Finished second at least once, maybe twice. No championships. So he gets a, a nominee for the GOAT. Slate Cummings, another one. Uh, I was doing this and was just blown away because I still think of Slate from his IHRA days when he dominated. The dude's been, had nine top 10 finishes over the course of the decade. No championships, but nine top 10 finishes, right? So those were the nominees there. I'll also nominate... Uh, the guy who's kind of at the center of the firestorm that we just talked about with Jerry Emmons, also a guy who I've just repeatedly kind of called out almost inadvertently several times over the last two years of the podcast over the situation at Indy. And there was one other, like, it seems like the decision maker in all of these controversial aspects is Mike Rice to the point that I've singled him out, like on the, on the show intro where we sometimes talk about Mike Rice, Mike Rice, really good guy. And like any division director, like, I trust has the, the competitor uh, at heart, right? And is doing the best thing for us. They're in really difficult situations, but it seems like I make him the goat a lot. Be like, man, nah, if I was Mike Rice, I'd have made a different call here, right? Playing armchair quarterback. So Mike Rice gets a vote for goat. Mike Rice, division seven director and, and race coordinator at a lot of the national events, uh, including the US nationals last year. But my drum roll, please, potty for the goat goes to the guy that we just have the most fun with of anyone here on the show. And quite frankly, he deserves better. Actually, not that I have any um, debate with TJ Pruitt being the best looking man in drag racing. I thought when you were rolling this down, you were gonna go this way. And it would have felt better for me to mention him for something more positive on the show. But the GOAT of the 20 teens, as it relates to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast has got to be AJ Ash. <laughs> pick on him all the time he's the easy goat yeah aj definitely it's definitely somebody that comes to mind on the criteria uh, i mean obviously highly accomplished and um ultra talented and done a lot of wonderful things in the sport but um based on the criteria that that you've given for the uh, aforementioned nominees i think very fitting to have aj in the in the role so He's a guy that we got to single out for one or two like kind of boneheaded decisions or posts when the vast majority of the work is unbelievably positive, right? But we got to somebody's got to be the goat. Yeah, and and I love AJ. He <laughs> the, don't think I love him anymore, but I I love him. The discomfort on your end just comes through the the line here. This is amazing. <laughs> did, did it? Did it through? You didn't you didn't like this award at all? <laughs> uh, no, I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the worst appearing car was hard on me but this one was really tough on me right. <laughs> let's move on to half of your topics the goat <laughs> capital greatest of all time goat of the decade i think we gotta break this up to be fair like the the bracket racing goat versus the the class racing and hra goat because i don't know how uh, you could weigh one versus the other. Like every listener of this would, would favor one over the other. And I feel like we should recognize both. You agree? Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Um, and, and so many, so many ways to go over a, a 10 year span, you know, the, the amount of winners and, and high performers 
over that period. I mean, I'm not even going to get close here. Uh, but, like, uh, we want to go brackets first, I assume? Sure. All right, so brackets first. You know, my, my guys that come to mind were Sugar, obviously, um, performing at a high level over a long period of time. Uh, Wes May, a guy that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, G-Dub, what else can you say about G-Dub? Uh, has won everything and sometimes two or three times winning everything. Ezel, uh, a guy that, that we'll continue to talk about for quite some time. Peep Show, Peeps has had a good decade. I uh, was obviously a, a very, very young man early in the decade and performed well and still doing it. Um, Jeff Verdi, just simply because he's accomplished something that, again, I said would never be done again. It's almost been done again a couple of times and will get done again, I'm convinced, but winning both millions in a year uh, puts him on my list. Uh, Tommy Cable, Tommy Plott, Nick Hastings, Kevin Pollard, obviously Dave Triplett, Chris Bear, and although it doesn't get my potty, uh, Luke, you definitely are in the discussion for um, the goat of the decade, the upper case goat of the decade. Um, Quite a decade yeah, for we, you as well. Million dollar win, uh, you know, a couple world championships. It's pretty darn impressive. If we had AJ and Mike Rice on, I'd be in the running for the lowercase one too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not at all. You wouldn't even be close. But uh, you'd probably be for their goat. List. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's very discretionary. <laughs> oh, oh, if we had okay, I understand. That. <laughs> so that, uh, none of you guys won the potty from me. Um, I think everybody knows the name that's missing. That's that's going to get the potty, but. Um, interested in your list okay i think we're going to end up going the same way for the brackets the first thing that came to mind to your point was johnny and i kind of lump him in the same as peeps not in that they're young enough that like they weren't racing in 2010 but they specifically johnny really kind of burst onto the national scene maybe 14 15 ish and if i'm going to give the goat of the decade, it's going to be for sustained dominance over the course of the whole decade on the biggest stage, right? So to me, while Johnny's probably the favorite to do that in the 20s, won't get my nod in the teens, um, my shout outs and, and, and nominees overlap a lot with yours. I had Wes May, uh, I had Troy Williams Jr., Gary Williams, Shane Carr, Jason Lynch. But I think that we are uh, of the same thinking here the potty for the goat of the decade in bracket competition goes to Kenny Underwood. Yes. Kenny Underwood. Uh, $2 million wins, uh, the phenomenal 2018 season, many big buck victories sprinkled throughout that entire decade, every year of that 10 year span, which I'm not sure anybody else can lay claim to. Um, other than, you know, there's guys that's won every year that decade, but I don't think anybody can lay claim to what he's done year after year in that decade. So Kenny was our guy. Yeah, absolutely. For all the reasons that you just mentioned, the, the 2018 season being the, the cherry on top and probably the, the put it over the top. But all that dude has done for not 10 years, like 30 years, is win big dollar bracket races at a high level with a great degree of consistency. And when you add on the unbelievable domination that was 2018 and include $2 million race wins over the course of the decade, like I just don't think you could go any other way. 
for the yeah, GOAT agreed. of the decade. On the NHRA side, this one's obvious too when you sit down and do the the, the homework, Jen. I don't know if you did much research here. I, I spent way too much time on this, so I was going to take the reins. Um, I don't know that this was necessarily the first name that come to, comes to mind, but the potty is, is really obvious when you break down the decade. But I'll go through because there's a lot of racers that deserve nomination here. There are, on the NHRA side alone, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, NHRA competitors that have won multiple world championships in this I guess now, not this decade, but in the in the 20 teens, right? Frank Aragona did it twice in Competition Eliminator. Brad Burton twice in Stock Eliminator. Peter Biondo twice, and does it seeming, seemingly hasn't raced in like five years. Won it in Super Stock in 2011. Won it in, I'm sorry, Super Gas in 2011. Super Stock in 2014. Jimmy DeFrank, um, two world championships this season. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll circle back to Jimmy. Um, Jeff Strickland, two world championships, both in the same season. Um, and myself uh, won two world championships in this decade. Now, the ones that really stood out um, and deserve like true nominee status, in my opinion, David Rampey, who we could just give like the lifetime GOAT award, and it yeah. seems fitting if he's going to wrap it up in 2019, right? But if you just look at the numbers, the teens were an unbelievable decade for me. Not only did he win two NHRA World Championships, both in competition eliminator in 2014 and 2017, he's also, to my knowledge, the only competitor. This is an unbelievable stat. He had a top 10 every year of the decade, either in comp, super stock, stock, or two in one year. Wow. Every year finished the, finished the season in the top 10. And just to the, the I guess it, it goes to show like how difficult that is. I researched a bunch of people. No one else did that. No one else came close. I think, I don't think anyone else got over eight. So that's incredible in and of itself. Um, another one that stood out to me, Jimmy DeFrank, I mentioned two time uh, world champion just in this decade. I believe he's got four total super stock champ in 2012 and 2016. Also top 10 in super stock in 2011 won it in 2012 top 10 and 13 top 10 and 14 where he finished second top 10 and 15 in both stock super stock and stock won the championship at 16 top 10 and 17 top 10 and 18 i don't know what the hell happened last year jimmy no top 10 <laughs> in 2019 but I, I said nobody got over eight jimmy's got nine that's unbelievable and especially when you combine it with the two world championships and the other one austin williams shouts to austin because he's probably listening um, not only dual world championships in this decade, got one in stock in 2014, followed it up with a super comp win in 2017. Also seven additional top 10 finishes, three of which were second place. So literally a round or two away in many instances from being a five time national champion in this decade, which sounds just unbelievable and unfathomable until you realize that that would simply put him on pace on the same footing as the man that's got to get the potty. It's Justin Lamb. Yeah. Five NHRA world championships in the 20 teens alone. Um, and what's a, what struck me in doing this research was Justin's championships, which three came in super stock, two came in stock, five championships, only four other top 10 finishes which is kind of crazy when you think like there's people on this list that had, I don't know what ramp he had, 12, 15 
top 10 finishes to get his two championships. Like it was, it's like from the outside, at least Justin gets through midway through the season is like, all right, I got a shot. Let's do this. And just locks in and wins or says, eh, not this year. He does do something else for a while. It's like when he commits to it, it, it just happens. I mean, there's one second place finish in there, but five championships and only four other top tens, including the second place. Pretty incredible. Yeah, very much so. And and that's exactly who I had in the potty. I mean, you know, obviously Lil Strick, yourself, Peter, Rampy. Um, you know, I, I thought about uh, Jimmy DeFrank. I, I thought about John LaBoose. Um, that's, you know, he was later in the decade, really starting to get after that and chase it. But uh, the GOAT on the sportsman side definitely is uh, is Justin Lamb. So I thought that was a, a very good choice there, and it was mine as well. And, of course, you got your Dan Fletchers and all those guys of the world, but I think everybody out there would trade just pound for pound what racing he's done would, would trade their results with uh, with what Justin – I mean, with, with what uh, Justin Lamb has done. So, Yeah, or Underwood. That actually brings up an, uh, another – point here you mentioned John LaBoost Jr. and if you were to force me to pick like the the overall capital goat of the decade like somebody that's done it on both sides because this has changed in our sport like when I was growing up let's say well I think you break it down by decade in the 90s Scotty was the best racer in the world and it didn't super comp super gas stock big dollar bracket race whatever that dude was the best there was no questioning it right in the 2000s, it was probably Peter. Same way, one on the NHRA side, one the big dollar bracket races, just one. Like if there was a big sportsman event, there was one guy that you could say was best. Over the course of the last decade, it feels like it's gotten way more specialized in that there's not a lot of crossover. Like you either go NHRA racing or you go bracket racing. There's not many people that, that do both with a great level of success. And there's very, very few that have ultimate success or like dominate on both sides. And Labuse is the one that stands out to me. We talked about his exploits um, on the bracket side, specific to the spring fling, but there was a stage there for a couple of years where I don't think there was any questioning it. Like John Labuse was the most successful racer of the season. And it was not one season. He was what Kenny Underwood was in 2018. Labuse was in 2010, 2011, 2012, that, that timeframe, right? And to just transition that and take it to the NHRA side later in the decade, win a national championship, multiple top tens, and is obviously still a threat at the bracket races that he goes to. It's a unique skill set to be able to excel on both sides, and he's got it. Like if I had to pick one and, and the criteria was you have to have won in both, uh, I, I think I would go with Little John. Yeah, well, with all due respect to, to Little John, because his, his talent's undeniable. Um, I think a guy winning two world championships on the NHRA side, division championship, winning a million-dollar race, uh, multiple premier event uh, surrounding race wins, $50,000 finals, those things. I think he might would qualify as uh, as the, the guy that does it the best on both sides, and obviously that's you. So I uh, appreciate your humility there, but – I think your results says that um, you're you're uh, doing it probably at as high a level as anyone. Well, as uncomfortable as you were in the lowercase goat, you just made me equally uncomfortable. Not only do we shed that light, but we're going to basically conclude the show with it. So thanks, Jed. Appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. No better way to wrap it up. So, guys, that does wrap us up. It's been a fun show, Luke. Had a blast uh, discussing these topics and. I definitely want the listener to 
to pick out a topic or all topics if you want to and tell us where we got it right, tell us where we got it wrong, or if it was all wrong. Uh, just we didn't get treat. anything wrong. What do you? Oh, yeah, there's no yeah. right or wrong. They'll really, let us know. They'll let us somebody know. will. But seriously, reach out to us. Let us know. Message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can at either Luke or myself on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Uh, thank you to, uh, to you, the listener, for tuning in. Thank you to BT for the sponsorship of this week's show. We appreciate those guys. Make sure you check them out for products and services when you're in need. And um, I doubt that we'll have shouts this week, Luke. Am I correct? Or? I have not done my job on shouts. I got nothing. I feel like we shouted out half the show. We have shouted out pretty much everybody in racing. <laughs> I got nothing left. Okay, so uh, no shouts this week. We'll get back to you when we do a, a full show. Be sure to start tuning in again next week to those uh, championship interviews. Luke and I are enjoying those and, and highlighting those 2019 champions. And um, fun show. We appreciate you guys listening. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>